0: Chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, hallelujah. As I've already stated, this is Stewardship Month. I've never said very much about stewardship, but I don't know whether that's good or not. Stewardship really entails Everything in life. It's not just what you put in the offering. So I'm gonna, I want to talk about stewardship today. If you'll, chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, starting at verse 1. Praise God. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord." Aren't you glad of that? I think he'll be much easier on us than we are on ourselves sometimes. Hallelujah. Father, we ask that you add your blessing to the reading of the word. We ask God for that anointing that has been been so prevalent throughout the meeting so far this morning. We ask God that that spirit would uh, just teach us. Open our minds and our ears. God lead us into holy things. Lord, anoint this pastor in Jesus name. Amen. In verse 1 it says that we should uh, be considered as servants and stewards. Servant and stewards. And I think that uh, them are two important words, servants and stewards. A steward is one who manages the affairs of another. It was very prevalent in the time that Jesus lived. People would go off into a far country, and they would leave their possessions in the care of a steward, And when they returned, they would expect that that which was theirs would be given to them and uh, that that they would take care of things while they were gone. Sometimes we expect people to be good stewards without taking time to explain just what the concepts behind stewardship are. And so today, let's look at a few key concepts of Christian stewardship. The first key is accountability. We have only one purpose in life. That one purpose is to glorify God. You have no other reason for being than to glorify God. Larry Burkett said, There's a great deal of false service by many who profess to be profess to serve God, but actually want God to serve them. That speaks a volume, doesn't it? Hallelujah. You see, we've got to start out by remembering that everything we have really is not ours. It belongs to God. God is very gracious in letting us use it. You see, when Adam and Eve were put in the garden, they were there to keep the garden. They were there to take care of the garden. They were just caretakers. In Psalm 24, 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. Everything that you can see Belongs to God. It's God's, not ours. And Adam was told to go and subdue the earth. He was not made an owner of the earth. God gives us strength. He gives us health. He gives us ability to acquire all that we need. And some people just get the idea that I have done this. By my own strength, I have done this. And we need to be reminded often that it's not anything that we've done, it's God's grace, God's love, for us. In fact, he even makes it rain on the just and the unjust. It's so easy. I, I don't know about you, but I have problems along this line once in a while of getting that attitude like uh, uh, I'm the owner, uh, the master of the house attitude. That's when God has to slap me down a little bit and I have to realize he's the master, I'm just the servant. Hallelujah. And so we need to keep that right attitude with God. Let me give you an example. Let's say I have a beautiful farm which God has so graciously given to me. And It's got buildings and equipment, and uh, it's just all that a person could want for a farm. And I go to Lee, and Lee says that he would like to live on my farm. And I say, okay, Lee, you can live on my farm. There's only one requirement. I want you to take care of the buildings and the grounds. I want you to plant the fields and, and, and just make it a, a real prosperous farm. There's only one catch, Lee. I want a percentage of, of everything. And as long as Lee gives me a percentage, He acknowledges that I'm the owner. Otherwise, he acts like it's his farm. And that's the way it is with this earth. You see, the earth is God's and the fullness thereof. Everything that's in it, the people, everything belongs to God. And we're just tenants on this earth. A. A. Hyde was a millionaire in the menthol manufacturing uh, industry, and he began tithing when he was uh, 100,000 dollars in debt. There was a lot of people who were well-meaning people. And they went to, to Mr. Hyde and they told him, "It's not right." that you should take and tithe when you're so far in debt. You shouldn't do it. And so, um, like most of us, Mr. Hyde listened to him. And then one day he was reading Psalm 24, and it said that the earth was the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and all that dwelled therein. And he decided, hey, wait a minute. God, if he owns everything, he should be my first creditor. And so he began to tithe. And I, I just believe that that's a, a great principle. God is our first creditor creditor. We're accountable to God, first of all. Then comes taxes, Social Security, rent, and so on, and so on, and so on. And so, when it comes to tithing, the tithing is on the gross, not on the net. See, when when I get my paycheck and it says gross pay, let's say $300, the first thing right off the top should be 10% for God. At, well, that's, that's, that belongs to him. That's his. He's the owner. And I owe him that. It's not something I do. If I feel like it, I owe it to him. And then comes Social Security and, and taxes. And then I get my net pay. And out of my net pay, I begin to pay my other bills, if there's anything left. But God... And it's very easy to remember, God is first. I will have no other gods before me. I am a jealous God. And so if we remember to put God first, we'll have no problem learning how to tithe. Amen? Secondly, the second key to stewardship is dependability. 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 If I'm accountable to God, can God depend on me? Verse 2 here in our text says, Moreover, it is required of a steward that he be found faithful. And we're to be, we're to account ourselves as what? What's it say in the first verse? As servants and stewards. And it's required that we be found faithful. The Revised Standard Version says trustworthy. In other words, can God trust us with the things that He's put in our care? What is the motivation for dependability? It can't be legalistic. How many of you tried to keep the law and found out you can't do it? You ever have that problem? You try to keep all the law? You know, if you're going to live under the law, then you've got to live by all of it. Because if you break one part in the law, you've broken it all. Paul says... You know, if it says, do not kill, well, maybe you don't kill, but do you steal? And over in Malachi, he accused the Israelites of stealing from him, taking that which was God's and using it for their own benefit. And so they broke the law, and we know that the law can't be kept by... Uh, we, we can't keep these things that God tells us to do by a legalistic, by you can't legislate, legislate righteousness. And that's what the United States is trying to do, you know? Let's legislate righteousness. Well, you can't do it. So, that can't be the motivation. And it can't be emotional. How many of you have seen people or have had it happen to you that during an evangelistic campaign, oh, glory to God, all of a sudden that truth comes through and you say, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And a few weeks later, you find that you slipped right back into the same old pattern. So, it can't be through emotions but it has to be in response to love and gratitude and grace. If God loved me enough to provide for all of my needs, and he does provide for all of your needs, then shouldn't I respond in love? Amen? Hallelujah. Jesus reminded us in the Sermon on the Mount, that you can't serve two masters. You're either going to love the one and hate the other or hate one and love the other, or vice versa. But you can't serve, what did he say, God and mammon. Worldly possessions. You can't serve God and the world at the same time. You're either going to be a servant to your money or your money is going to be a servant for you. Right? Hallelujah. If God is truly our master, if we have really submitted to his lordship, then we will be dependable because... Well, my wife can depend on me not to cheat on her because I love her. And she knows I love her. I'm not going to be out looking elsewhere because I love her. And God should be able to depend on us because of the love and the relationship that we have with God. Hallelujah. How much does it take to be dependable? Now, I realize that's kind of a weird way of putting it. How much does it take to be dependable? It's really looking at it from a negative point of view. My wife is always telling me that. Don't look at it from a negative point. But for purposes of illustration, I want to look at the negative side of it. In other words what is the least I can do and still get by? There's a lot of people looking for that, you know. Just squeak into heaven, you know. What's the least I can do? Well, I believe that the Bible teaches us that one-tenth... or 10% belongs to God. And so don't think that you can get by with 5% or a $5 bill because most of you earn more than $50 uh, in a week. See, that's... You've got to say... 10% of everything. 10%. That's the minimum. You see, and if the Jews were commanded to give 10%, then we who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, who have received the grace of God, and are no longer under the law, but have been set free, we ought to be able to do better than what the Jews did under the law, right? So 10%, you give at least 10% before you can even give an offering. George in his class this morning was talking about alms giving. And it says, Don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. But that's not talking about tithing. You better know when you paid God back what belongs to Him. And you better know what you're doing. Because there's interest. There's interest that's paid when you borrow the tithe. And you'd be better off to go to the bank and borrow. you get it for less. And we'll go into that sometime, but... We're commanded. That's the least you can do. And we're told to judge ourselves that we be not judged. Let me ask you a question this morning. How do you see yourself? I'm not going to go look at your tithe records. In fact, Pat will tell you, I, I have no idea what comes in. I, I don't go looking at them. I don't go to Pat and say, who's tithing and who isn't? It's between you and God, but I want to tell you, don't cheat God out of what belongs to him. It's just the wrong way to get, a, get anything done in this world. If you're not dependable on that which is least, you're not going to be dependable on that which is most. And money should be one of the least things that you're made a steward over. One of the greatest things is that we're steward over the words of God, according to our scripture this morning, right? And we want to be found trustworthy because it says, if you can't be trustworthy in some of the least things, then how can you be trustworthy in that which is most important? Last key that I want to give you this morning is availability. Availability. In the final analysis, stewardship depends on our commitment to Christ, doesn't it? I want you to notice back there on the board... uh, how are we taking care of what God has given us? If you look at it closely or a little closer, uh, she's got four T's there that we're, we're uh, kind of accountable for. Three of them were time, talent, and, and treasures. I don't remember what the other one was. What is it? Talk. You're re- the way, what, what you say. Okay? Commitment. I can't overemphasize commitment. If God doesn't have us and we haven't given ourselves to God first, then chances are when it comes to money or time or talent or anything else, we're not available. If he's got your commitment, he's got, he's got everything, right? No matter what you got, it's his. You want it, God? There it is. That's commitment. Stewardship involves all of life, not just our money. So when I get up here and talk about stewardship, I've got to talk about other things other than money also. And I'm going to be talking about other things other than money when it comes to stewardship throughout the month. But it starts with a, a very simple thing. Can God trust you? Are you committed to God? I quickly want to tell you a story. We're running out of time. In my first church, there was a man who had uh, eight kids, was it? Eight kids. And on a Saturday night, his house burned. They all got out alive, but about all they had was the clothes on their back. And needless to say, he didn't make it to church on Sunday morning. And so during that Sunday morning service, although there was maybe only 50 in that morning service, we took up a love offering for that man because we felt when a brother hurts, we all ought to hurt. Help me out, Betty. I don't remember what the amount of the offering was but I know it was sizable uh, for 50 people on the spur of the moment. She says $300. And, and the ties weren't affected at all. We took in the same amount for the offering as we always did yet there was $300 that was given to help this man and his family out. So I went out to his house afterward, out to his house, his house, out to his sister-in-law's house, where they were staying. And uh, I was going to take this three hundred dollar gift to him. And as I pulled up to the house, his station wagon was parked there with a with a little uh, uh, utility trailer behind it, a very small utility trailer behind it, and everything that they owned in this world was on that utility trailer, and it wasn't. Piled very high either and most of what they had on that utility trailer was smoked and, and fire damaged yet it was all of their worldly possessions and I walked into the house and I st- started a conversation with them and uh, before I got ready to leave I was going to give him the offering and uh, he said oh Pastor, I can't let you leave yet. He said, I've got to give you my tithe. Amen. And I wanted to cry. Here's a man who had absolutely every reason in the world to say, I need to hang on to that money. But it was so much a part of his life that he wanted to tithe. And I said, okay, I accept it in the name of Jesus Christ. And I put it with the other $300. <laughs> And I said, I'm giving it to the Lord's work today. But you need to get that kind of a, a principle that I'm going to tithe regardless. It has to be a part of life. Hallelujah. Reminded me of 1 Corinthians chapter 8. I wish I had a living Bible to read this out of. Does anybody have a living Bible with them? Anyone have a living Bible? Anyone, I'd like to read it out of the living Bible. Yes. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, starting with verse 1. Now about the food sacrifices to idols. Whoop, 2 Corinthians. I'm on the wrong one here. 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry. Chapter 8, verse 1. And now, brethren, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty. Welled up in rich, generation, uh, rich generosity, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service of the saints, and they did not Do it as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Giving is a grace, according to what I just read. And too many people in this world are takers, And so, first of all, we should learn to be givers. It's a grace. And I think we need to work at it, because it doesn't come easy. I can remember when the preacher used to come to my house, and he'd say, how much are you going to give the... uh, You know, he wanted a pledge card. How much are you going to give? And I'd say to my wife, man, I'm not... What's he coming around begging for? I've been giving him $5 a week. What's he want? <laughs> I thought I was really doing something. I really did. Right here in 2 Corinthians, to which I just read, is the greatest example of Christian availability. These Christians were available. Everything they had was available for God's use. And that's the attitude that I really want us all to pray that we would have, that we'd be available. Everything that we have is available. God may not ask for it, but if he asks for it, let's give it. Hallelujah. I've given you three key concepts Accountability, dependability, and availability. Now it's up to you and your response. Hallelujah. Brother Saunders, would you close with a word of prayer, please?